what is going on? Welcome to a very, very special emergency Bo Horvat just got traded edition of Canucks Talk, a special emergency podcast. I'm Jamie Dodd, and joining me, I don't know where he is, where we've scattered to the winds on our vacation, uh, but it is, of course, Canucks insider Thomas Strance. Strance, I'm recording this from the front seat of my car uh, parked outside our vacation rental in Tofino. I don't know about you, but this is very, very exciting times right now. Yeah, I'm coming at you from a view of the citrus trees in uh, in Palm Springs, California. So let's do it. Obviously, this let's happened do it. day one of vacation. Of course, we weren't going to. Well, let... and I will say, but <laughs> before we get into the the you know the nitty gritty of it, so I'm I'm in Tofino and the beautiful drive through backcountry or whatever, right? Like remote regions. So you're out of cell service. As I get back into cell service, my phone absolutely explodes with text messages. And my very first thought, first thing I said to my wife was, I bet they just traded Bo Horvat. And that's exactly what happened. So here we are. We're going to get into it. The Canucks traded their captain, Bo Horvat, to the New York Islanders. A protected first round pick that rolls over to an unprotected pick next year coming back. Atu Ratu, a 20-year-old, a former second round pick in 2021, who just started playing in the NHL this year. I think he has 12 games under his belt. He's part of the return. And Anthony Beauvillier, uh, young veteran, 25-year-old right-shot winger, uh, who's signed for one more year beyond this one at $4.1 million. That are, that, those are the details. Drancer, what was your first blush reaction? You know, with a little bit of time to digest, what are you thinking about it now? Okay, so also we should include in the return that Lou Lamorello has told reporters that 25% of Horvath's yes. salary is retained. So it's a cap neutral deal with Beauvillier at 4.15 matching Horvat's salary perfectly. Um, the Beauvillier part is, you know, sort of the fly in the ointment, right? Because our take on that salary coming back would be an awful lot different if the club hadn't extended Kuzmenko, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like adding well, an additional it... $4 million on the wings. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. This team is absolutely a helicopter now, right? Like, no center. So, yeah, no, it's sorry, always... Wait. A helicopter has... Yeah, a helicopter... Well, a helicopter the has the propellers or the blades. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if those count as wings or not. Sorry. sorry I don't know. A helicopter, a helicopter line has no wings. It's three centers. It's a, yeah. it's a donut line, right? Because... <laughs> uh, anyway, whatever. <laughs> the, the, the fact is, is that the Canucks are so overweight on the wings that the Beauvillier part of this becomes inconvenient and here's here's the truth of the matter like Beauvillier has been available for you know a distressed asset return on the trade market for months like dating back to this yeah. past summer he was available to anyone who wanted to take on the full freight of his salary uh, at a mid-round pick price right like this is a distressed asset coming back for Bo Horvat to make the money work for the New York Islanders so really this is a bet on the other two pieces involved now, Atu Ratu, he's a 20-year-old former second-round pick. Um, the fact that he's in the NHL and the Canucks picked nine picks earlier and took Danila Klimovich, probably not the best reflection on the amateur scouting work of that draft, frankly, mm -hmm. particularly given how far away Klimovich still looks where, uh, or still seems, whereas the Canucks viewed Ratu as an NHL-ready 20-year-old. Um, but so that has to be noted here, right? Cause, but all of that said, he's not just a second round pick. This is a guy who 
you know, produced at historic rates as a 15 and 16 year old. Uh, there were, you know, years where the 2020 NHL draft class was thought to be like Ratu's year. It's just that he struggled so considerably as a 17 year old in his, his first draft eligible season that he ended up sinking like a stone in that draft process, ended up going in the 50s to a New York Islanders team that took a chance on him. And then immediately his development curve sort of reset to where yep. it had been previously, yeah. dominated like the U18s that, that year and on and on, and now has sort of that top prospect sheen on him again. We saw him play as a fourth line center between Ross Johnston and uh, Matt Martin when the Islanders played in Vancouver a few weeks ago. He looked okay. There is yep. real concern. Yep. There is real concern within the industry about uh, Rat, uh, Ratu's speed. And as an associated concern, whether he sticks at center given his lack of foot speed, right? Like, is there a chance that the Canucks have just acquired an additional sort of middle six wing prospect? Um, that's sort of one popular takeaway within the industry. And the other thing I'd note to you is the industry is lower, like the people I've been chatting to are lower about this deal than I am. And the reason for that, for the most part, is that I'm really excited about the third asset that the Canucks got back, which is this, you know, lightly protected 2023 yep. first round pick, which could convert unprotected to 2024. That to me is the sort of high upside asset that the Canucks really needed to be prioritizing in any Horvat return and they got it. And so when I step back and look at this full package, you know, I think the return it's fair to say is underwhelming. Like I, I is this even better than the PPP well, package? Uh, I don't know. Okay. So here's the it's thing. Not, I think the it's deal, not like Bovillier is a distressed asset. Yeah. Ratu's Ratu's, you know, a uh, 20 year old, uh, pro like he's an interesting flyer, but it's not like a top, He's probably New York's top prospect, but the Islanders don't have a good system, right? It's not like a top, top prospect yep. that they've returned. This isn't, this isn't you know, Lafreniere or, or Quinton Byfield or something like no, that, right? Who was no. at the top of their class. Like, yeah. I think it's fair to say it's an underwhelming return, and yet I like it anyway, because at the very least, it's a deal that prioritizes the future first and foremost. Like, this is a deal where if it works out for the team, it delivers in 2025, 2026, when perhaps if the club is really disciplined about sort of making these sorts of moves with a level of frequency uh, that they really haven't been, even, even up to and including this week with the Kuzmenko contract, um, you know, the, the team could be good by then. Like these, these assets could matter then. So at the very least, it's in line with the sort of vision that I think the club needs to take, the long view vision that the, the club needs to be disciplined about sticking to if they're going to have any hope of turning this around. And so I sort of like it a little bit more than market, despite the fact that I also think on the whole, it's probably an underwhelming return. Yeah. I mean, and so my initial reaction, I mean, once I, I, I literally had, uh, had my wife like pull up Twitter on her phone and read the return to me. And I was like, okay, okay. And then Beauvillier and it's like, really another winger, but let's leave that aside for now as I was reacting to it. Cause I find myself reacting in two different ways. Like one is just to the deal kind of in a vacuum as, as a pure exchange of assets. And one is in reaction to 
I think maybe some of the worst case scenario type trades that we had read the tea leaves a little bit, what Jim Rutherford and Patrick Levine had said, you know, we'd heard reports mm. about players they were interested in. And it was like, Ooh, could this be a real kind of lead balloon when they make it that just, you know, doesn't pass muster when you see it. And it's not that right. Because as you said, like, I think my biggest concern was that they would try to kind of force a square peg into a round hole and get so locked in on, we need our replacement center and we need a right-handed defenseman. And you would end up sacrificing a lot of value and a lot of upside to do that. And to their credit, they did not do that. And I think that as you're kind of saying, right, like these are future moves, not moves that position them to make a run at the playoffs next season. I think just checking that box is huge. Ratu is interesting. The other thing I really like about Ratu um, is, you know, this is his, the first year of his ELC. So they right. still have a lot of time of control of team control left on Atu-Ratu. I think that's a big deal. This is not a guy who it's like, oh, you got to make a tough RFA decision on them. Oh, they're just about to get their ar- their arm rights. You've got some runway to really figure out and invest. And, and as I say, figure out what you have in the player here. I really like that. I, I think the concerns about, you know, center to wing are interesting, but you also got to put yourself in a situation now where you're dialed in, locked in. Hey, you've hired all of these player development guys. Okay, now here's a here's a great project for them to make sure you get the most out of Atu Ratu. And then the other thing is again to the uh, the first round pick that is top twelve protected, unprotected next year. That's a fascinating pick. That's probably like the most realistic draft capital they could have gotten back here. Because and as much as I would have no problem with getting a, a pick that's you know twenty five in this year's draft, the difference between twenty five and say you know thirteen fourteen which could easily be where the Islanders pick. That's not nothing. That's significant. That's interesting. That's good. And then, as you said, if things go haywire for the Islanders or if the lottery bumps them up to a a higher position, you've got a completely unprotected pick next year. And that, given the Islanders, given the state of their team, I think it's fair to say, has a lot of really interesting potential. So the draft capital in and of itself. Now, maybe you could say, well, they should have got more picks. Could you have done other things? That's fair. But just looking at that, that, pick individually i think that's probably about as good as you could do in terms of one pick and it's hard to be it's hard to be upset with that especially when you know i mean how many times did you and i joke about jack rosovic and andrew peak right (laughs) so in light of that it's like okay well hey a a protected first round pick and atu ratu becomes pretty interesting sure although i think it's important to avoid falling into the trap of having such low expectations 100 following this team that we just accept yeah. that that's normal. Um, you know, I think that's like a, that's um, a prejudice or, a, or um, a bias that we have to like work hard to avoid. You know, one way that's sort of useful to think about this is, you know, will your view on the trade change based on where, like say that pick ends up being the 15th overall pick at the 2023 NHL entry draft. Does that change your view of the trade? versus if it's the 25th overall pick at the 2023 NHL entry draft versus whether it's the fifth overall pick at the 2024 NHL yeah. entry draft? Or are you comfortable with all three scenarios because of the upside sort of uh, risk, the short position effectively that the Canucks have bought against an Islanders team that, look, if you go back to the start of the 2021-2022 season, like the Canucks and the Islanders are only separated by point. 
0.004 in point percentage. This is the 19th uh -huh. and the 20th overall team in point percentage dating back to the start of last year. Like these are mushy middle teams, both of them. And given that, given that, like I think we'd be apoplectic if the Canucks had done the inverse of like if the Canucks were in the inverse position, right? Yeah. Would we be if saying the that they like won it outright? Yeah, their first round pick in Vasily Podkolzin for an expire for a 28 year old UFA. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, <laughs> like even that... if, even if they had even if they had you know 14 more points in the standings and yeah. were were sort of like a coin flip ish, um, you know, a one in three shot or whatever the Islanders' playoff odds are. I think they're like 40 percent this year. Um, you know, we I think we'd be howling, right? Like we'd be like, oh man, Lou took them to the cleaner. Yep. So you know, from that. From that view, anyway, I think that I think at the end of the day, the the bar is pretty low on these types of trades. Like my opinion on these types of trades, where you're trading a pending UFA is twenty eight, you know, and part of the return that you're getting, in my view, is always like not being the team that yep. signs the third deal, right? Um, the bar is pretty low in terms of what you have to clear for me to be like, I like that deal for that team. And the Canucks have cleared it because in acquiring that conditional first, they've picked up the sort of asset that could, that could, if it pays off. And, you know, people will say stuff like, nothing's guaranteed with draft picks. Well, nothing's guaranteed with Atu Ratu either, right? Like, yeah. he, could be a, he could be a fourth-line winger for his career. Well, right? Andrew, like, it's knows? so funny because pe people scoff at, you know, picks that aren't premium picks in the top 15 or whatever. But, you know, Atu Ratu was a second-round pick. And I think people and, are justifiably yeah. intrigued and excited about what he can do. So yeah, totally. nothing's guaranteed, but you still get value. It's not as if good players only come from the top 10, no, right? Like well, there's still I mean, value to be had elsewhere. I mean, you'll find four or five players drafted in the sixth and seventh round every year that become Jesper yeah. Bratt, you know, like that's yeah. John Marino. Like that's the, that's the nature of the NHL. This is why you should be amassing picks always. Anyway, with, uh, with regards to, with regards to the, um, with regards to that first, like at least you've bought one high upside asset that has a chance to yep. alter the trajectory of where this franchise is headed. And so, you know, I like that. Like that's, that to me was the bar you had to clear in a Horvat trade. And yes, it's not a guaranteed premium pick. Well, it's not a guaranteed super premium pick, but I think if you're, you're drafting in the mid teens in 2023, you're going to get a really good player. And if I, it, think, and it, I think that's and a really this, solid pick. Yeah. And if this pick converts, then that gets really exciting for this team, in my view, going into well, next season. Although you don't really want to bet against Ilya Sorokin. No, you don't. But you know what it does on lock. And if I had to bet, I would bet. I think the odds are that it, that it transfers this year. But if it doesn't, just from a pure like fan experience perspective, it unlocks one of the greatest things that a fan can have, which is not rooting for your team to lose for lottery balls, but rooting for some other team to lose every night totally. for lottery balls. So that that is a potentially really interesting uh, subplot if it doesn't so, go, uh, go through this year. So I just want to note, though, like part of my defense of this trade, right? Part of why I like this trade more than most of the people I'm talking to in the business is you know, the low bar on it, right? Like this trade is so much better in my view, if they'd done it twice, if they'd also done it with JT, right? Yeah. And it's so much better if they'd done it two and a half times with JT as well as Andre Kuzmenko. Like now you're beginning to build the sort of volume 
uh, of futures and assets where it's not just about this pick converting or where it ends up falling or the prospect you end up taking, but there's like multiple different outs. There's multiple sort of things that are out there that could come back and pay off in a major way. And, you know, so I guess more than anything, this trade is consistent with the type of thinking, the type of future oriented thinking that I think this franchise needs to hew to with extraordinary discipline if they're going to have any chance of turning this around. But, you know, you only get so much praise for it when it's a one off, right? Like there were so many other opportunities just over the past year to do similar types of moves that would have the club in so much better straights if they'd been disciplined enough to stick to this approach consistently as opposed to sort of backing into it as a result of other sort of win now choices that they've made elsewhere on their roster. So I think that's also an important qualifier to put on this. I, I like this deal for the most part. I think they, I think it accomplished what they needed to accomplish. And I think the bar for them to leap over in terms of quote unquote winning the deal was never very high. All of that said, this should be like one of three or four moves that, that all are sort of thrusting in the same direction. And instead it's a, it's a one-off that's likely to be insufficient considering, you know, sort of the mixed approach that this front office has taken to turning this thing around. Well, and that kind of brings me to the Anthony Beauvillier part of it, right? Because in a, in a vacuum, I have no real problem with the Canucks taking on that salary. And Hey, maybe that is part of what convinced the Islanders to, you know, make the pick as attractive as it was in addition to including Ratu. But I think, you know, your point about, okay, this can't be a one-off in being future-oriented and being disciplined, that really comes into focus when thinking about Beauvillier for me. He's on under contract for uh, one more season at 4.15 next year. You know, he's had production in the NHL, not enormous production, but he's been a player at the NHL for a long time now. The move really only makes sense, or I shouldn't say only makes sense, but to me, you have to be looking at Beauvillier as, okay, how can we rebuild some value here and then move them on in the future, right? Because, look, we've, we, we were joking about how many wings they have now, but, I mean, literally another guy, another winger making over $4 million a year uh, for next year. You just have to be looking at these guys not as, you know, which one do we like better as a player at this point, but who can we move? For assets, And if that's the process they're going to follow with Beauvillier, well, then, hey, you have a chance to potentially recoup something, add more to, you know, a, a growing uh, ch chest of, uh, of draft picks and prospects. That's great. If the plan is, well, we really like this player and, hey, we're, hopefully we can get him locked up after this contract and, and see how he fits on our team. You know, that I'm much, much more skeptical about. And who knows? Look, maybe they're keeping an open mind. We'll see how he plays here and everything. But you really just have to be looking at this, this glut of wingers you have and thinking, okay, how can we boost their value and start reallocating the cap to other positions on our team? Now, the problem is, I mean, they just did the Andre Kuzmenko extension. So are they inclined to look at the players they have at that position in that way? I don't know, but the Bovillier thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless that's how you're tackling the problem, in my perspective. Well well, here's the other thing is now, now you're so heavily loaded up in terms of wing spend um, that I really think it's important that 
the logical the logical consistency of this deal is going to require the team to effectively make moves that function as a punt on next season. Like you can't do this trade, take yeah. back Bavillier, right? Like what's the logic of this deal? Your your prime expiring contract was Bo Horvat, 5.5 million <laughs> coming off the books. And now your cap benefit for making that deal is what? 1.4 million. So that's it, right? Like that's it. That in terms of your cap benefit for next season of making the Horvat deal. The cap benefit long term will be a lot higher because Horvat's going to come in at, you know, 7 or 8 well, million and Beauvillier will yeah. expire. But for next year, the logic of this deal requires the team to be very realistic about the suboptimal, frankly, ruinous construction of this roster going into next season. Except that the blue line, turning the blue line around, the design of the blue line is going to take years to fix. Spend next year, at the very least, accumulating assets in everything you do and, and avoid the win-now desperation that has characterized so much of Vancouver's activities, including under this management group, over the course of the last five, six years. If you're really realistic about what next season looks like as a result of the way you've allocated your spend and avoid doing like the, you know, um, buyouts <laughs> on guys like Garland, right? Like avoid mm -hmm. pushing money into the future, avoid sort of win now contracts on guys where, you know, their best years are going to be on the front end of the deal. And then by the time you have a chance to be good again, they're inefficient. Like if this is part of a holistic picture, the first part of it, the first time we've seen it, then it makes sense. Again, if it's a one-off and the club then sort of retreats to doing all the win now stuff that is, you know, help them dig this massive hole in the first place, then it's just a bad trade. Right. Yeah. It, the, the, the trade works if it's the start of a new direction in which the club accepts that a material step back is inevitable anyway, so they might as well get value from it. Failure to do that, failure to do that, I think, sort of casts this move in a very, very different light. And I will say, in a weird way, the fact that Bovillier is a winger, it almost makes me a little bit more optimistic that that's the direction things are going. Because if it had been like, you know, 25-year-old center X who had a similar trajectory and maybe a similar cap number as Bovillier and like, you know, maybe Jack Rosovic, right? Then it would be really easy to say like, okay, they think they found their next second line center and they're going to go for an extension and they're going to try to retool and they're going to try to be competitive right away. With Bovillier in the fold though, you just look at how their money is being spent for next season and how much of it is on the wings and how much of those or how many of those players have been kind of underwhelming in recent years like let's not forget Bovillier is having a down season this year so it's just it's so suboptimal that i have a really hard time believing that's the plan right like i almost can't no, believe but... that they look at it in any other way maybe i'm being naive you are but... you are you are because of garland <laughs> you are because of garland a garland buyout saves you like what 4.1 Right, a yeah. Besser buyout saves you an additional four. All of a sudden, that's you know meaningful cap space. You can go into next season and you're looking at something like you know uh, ten to twelve, even with Beauvillier on the books. And then you know, so it goes. So you know, I I don't know that we've seen enough to think that that's an inevitable course of action. 
if the if the club's actions are all point in that direction, right, consistently over the course of the next six, seven months, maybe, maybe this front office will be onto something. But for now, for now, I need to see an awful lot more before I look at this trade as more than a one-off. Hey, can I bring up one more thing? I know we're going to wind down here. We need to get back. Yeah, to yeah, no, we got a couple, we got a couple other things to hit for sure. But 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 I, I want to hit one thing in particular, which is yeah, the club won't practice again until what February fifth, something like that, right before yeah. the game in New Jersey, and all of a sudden you're going to go back, and this season that's been punctuated by like Horvat speculation and. Boudreaux speculation and Kuzmenko, will they or won't they? And all this nonsense, all this noise hanging over the group. And and let's, let's sorry, I stopped there, but I shouldn't, right? Because it's also been, you know, management criticizing the coach publicly yep. and, you know, credible allegations of domestic violence against ownership and a human rights complaint from a fired staffer. And like, it's really been an ugly season in just about every respect and all of a sudden you know you're going to come back as a group following this week where everyone can reset right spend time with the family spend time away from the rink and you're going to come back and it's like rick talking to the head coach that's settled right bo horvat has been traded that's settled andre kuzmenko has been signed that's settled jt miller has been signed that's settled and all of a sudden, like, what's the biggest storyline hanging over this team? Like, will they or won't they with Luke Shen? Like, can, can yeah. they get an asset for Colin Delia? Like, oh boy, oh boy, do you think they're going to get an extension done with Ethan Bear before the deadline? Like, all of a sudden, this team that spent the last seven, eight months being like the most exciting soap opera, this side of Young and the Restless, is looking at what is hopefully like a boring zero front page news culmination to the season. And I think there's real value in that from a rebuilding the trust of the market, from a just going about your business, head down, um, just get through this year. Just get through this yeah. year, end the drama, end the noise, focus on hockey, focus on implementing Rick Tockett's system, focus on the, the dull routine that this club needs to get back to if they're going to win games again they've really positioned themselves by being a little bit proactive about handling their business whether whether we can whether we like all of it or not uh by handling their business now they've got this chance to sort of reset and be a normal hockey team uh for the last 35 ish games of the year and i i have to think there there's going to be some meaningful value incurred as a result of just sort of turning the page on what's been one of the most dysfunctional seasons in the history of the franchise. Well, and I would even throw just as another signal that the page is turning, not that this was an ongoing story, but deciding to shut down Ilya Mikheyev for the season. Right. I mean, I guess the, the what that, and we don't have to get into that, but how that functions to me is nobody is pretending this is all about winning anymore, right? Like the players are still going to try. Rick Tockett wants to win as many games, but by shutting Mikheyev down, by making the Horvat trade, this is a different thing from now for the rest of the season. And I'm not saying it's tanking, right? It's it's development. It's installing the system. And I do think there's something to be said for just having an internal focus that we also understand, that people outside understand. And I think we've got enough signals to kind of, now we do. We comprehend what the plan is, what the goals are for the rest of the season. And I think, you know, Ratu's another uh, interesting guy. Like, will we see him 
you know, in Abbott or yeah, in Abbotsford, will we see him up with Pod Colson and Hoaglander at some point? I know Albine has name checked some other guys he wouldn't mention or he wouldn't mind getting a look at. So that's going to be something that that fits into that as well. The development of some of the younger players in the system before we wrap up here. I mean, I, I do feel like we should just kind of put, put a capstone on, on Bo Horvat's Canucks career uh, quickly, Drancer, because, you know, I know he I haven't had a chance to listen to the availability, but just seeing the quotes on Twitter. I know he reiterated on a couple of to- uh, occasions that he expected to be a Canuck for life, obviously drafted by the organization. I had said multiple times on our show that I had expected him to be uh, a Canuck for life. Uh, certainly going into last summer, I thought that's where we were we were headed. And then, you know, you look at where he ends up on various all-time lists for the franchise, 10th in points all-time, 8th in goals, 13th in games played, obviously served as the captain, you and I have talked at length about what a good job he's done as captain in so many ways. And it's, you know, as much as we all saw the writing on the wall, it's still kind of a pretty stunning ending to Bo Horvat's time as a Canuck, which really, I mean, he did everything, pretty much everything you could have asked of him during that time. Oh, he did absolutely everything you could have asked for him, right? Like, he, he always raised his game when it mattered most, and it never mattered enough. Like, it never mattered yeah. as much as it should have, given the length of his tenure in Vancouver. I think the way that he conducted himself and carried himself belongs in the same sentence as the way that Henrik and Daniel Sedin and Roberto Luongo and Chris Tanev uh, and the like um, carried themselves over the course of the past decade plus for this franchise. You know, he improved... As a leader, he improved as a goal scorer, he improved as a player, he improved as a person over the course of his time in Vancouver. Like he was successful in working on himself and working on his game and maximized who he could possibly be in the NHL uh, repeatedly. And so, you know, Bo Horvat, I mean, at the end of the day, you wonder, and I'll always wonder if the organization made the right decision in terms of which horses they decided to back here under new mm-hmm. management. Um, it feels like a whimper, a, a, a sort of unfortunate way for this to end. And more than that, more than that, you know, the Horvat trade was probably the one pure rebuilding trade that the Canucks franchise made after the 2011 Stanley Cup run and that team got swept and, you know, that sort of window closed. The Horvat deal, Schneider for Horvat, was sort of the only real focused rebuilding trade that we saw. I mean, you could say Luongo, the Luongo trade was sort of fits in that mix, but it certainly didn't return an asset as premium as Horvat did. No. And, you know, now all I can say is that I hope, having wasted Horvat's entire career to this point, the Canucks are launching a new one and a better one, and a more focused and disciplined one with this Horvat trade. Like, that, that, that's all I can hope for, because Horvat deserved an awful lot better during his time in Vancouver, and Canucks fans enjoyed to, uh, or deserved to see a player like that play in more big games than they ever got to. Uh, and that's, yeah, sort it, of, that's sort of Horvat's legacy, is he was the best player during some of the leanest years in this franchise's existence. And, you know, as much as I like the return, and I think it was 100% the right decision at at this juncture to trade him and not to re-sign him, it is still going to feel like a massive, it's going to feel like a massive what if, right? Looking back on Bo Horvat's career, because man, for so long, it felt like it was going to go 
in a different direction. All right, I got to go have dinner with my family. We're on vacation, but I'm glad we could uh, we could get this emergency pod out. The people were demanding it, Drancer. We're going to go back to our vacations. We'll be back next week. Uh, hopefully, there's no more massive earth-shattering Canucks news to get to. But if there is, hey, maybe we'll do another emergency podcast. Until then, uh, have a great time. We'll talk to you soon.